Hi everyone, welcome back to Blurred Box. I'm Chloe. I'm Haven. I'm Pooja. And I'm Sophie. And this is our podcast, where four online students in four different places around the world from Stanford University's online high school come together every week to discuss a variety of topics, ranging from world events to our lives in an online school, and invite guests to take part in our discussions and share their views. This episode, we'll be having a special emphasis on the current digital divide between students at this time, where everyone has now been forced into virtual learning due to the COVID-19 epidemic. Joining us today, we have Dr. Tomohiro Hoshi, our head of school and an instructor of philosophy and mathematics at Stanford OHS. Hi, everyone. Yeah, thank you so much for having, uh, ha- yeah, having me. Yeah, thank you. It was a Thank you for joining. Dr. Hoshi, introduce yourself. Give us a bit of an introduction to who you are and, I guess, how you got into OHS. Oh, sure. Yeah, thank you, Chloe. And uh, I am uh, head of Stanford Online High School. I think this is uh, my uh, fourth year in the role, but I've been at the school for, let's see, almost uh, 12 years. I think this is my wow. 12th year at the school, where the school right, is going through the 14th year right, of the school. Um, the way that I got into OHS is that I was finishing up my PhD in philosophy at Stanford uh, University. For my fifth year, I was looking for, right? I was done with my dissertation and some exciting projects, the PhD program. And I came across this uh, interesting project of developing uh, high school curriculum in philosophy uh, and also, right, in this uh, online education platform. And back then, right, uh, that was the time that uh, MOOCs uh, and other sorts of online educational platforms were uh, arising. So that was immediately interesting to me. So I joined the school as a person who was developing this, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, now called uh, core curriculum in, in the high school oh, really and also a teacher. I hear also from reading your profile, you had your education initially in Japan. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, I was born and uh, um, raised up in and I'm uh, originally from Tokyo. So I uh, did my undergraduate studies in uh, the University of wow. Tokyo. So as mentioned, right, a lot of students now are forced into online education as the physical schools are being closed due to the coronavirus crisis. But those who are less privileged or reside in rural areas lack the device and or, you know, the broadband mm-hmm. needed to access this novel way of education, for example, whether it be in the U.S. or Europe or Asia. And one human rights concern that has been aggravated by this digital divide is global inequality. So we would like to get your perspective first on how you think about this current digital divide in our society and what we can do to bridge this divide. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's a wonderful theme. And, uh, uh, you know, definitely I'm uh, excited to be able to uh, have this conversation with you guys on that topic. So first thing, right, in the current Mm -hmm. situation, what I think of is certainly this... um, gap that existed yeah. uh right in the world has been uh even uh, made wider right so to speak right the current <laughs> impact of the um uh, yeah. covid-19 situation is really disproportionately sorry <laughs> uh, uh hitting the different kinds of worlds and different kinds of people mm-hmm. different kinds of areas and so forth and uh, what was bad is getting even worse, right? Mm-hmm. And then the gap and the divide that you are describing there yeah. is getting bigger, right? As well as other kinds of issues and divides. So that's the kind of, you know, first thing I can say. And another thing I want to say in that context is, right, people might have thought of online education or online learning or online teaching, right, as a solution to 
you know, various sorts of issues. But I think that's a misconception, right? Uh, because it's only a tool, right? Which might produce some solutions to some issues. That's kind of a very important distinction that we might keep in mind. So just having online education, I think as you are, you know, frame of discussion was, you know, I think implying, right? Just having online education mm -hmm. doesn't help, right? Online education alone doesn't help. So I guess I'm curious what you think the most important skills are to kind of instill in these new, you know, online teachers and how they can utilize this tool of the online platform. The teachers just aren't trained in how to teach through an online platform. Um, and that's been surprising to me because I've kind of had a lot of years with online school. So I was kind of just accustomed to teachers knowing what to do. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I have almost like two opposing views on this. Uh, one view is that, right, uh, I have been, right, in the circumstance, particularly, right, as you know, OHS has been helping educators outside OHS, right? In that context, I've been really telling educators outside OHS that, right, think of you are going into a new classroom in a new school, right, that you started working for, right? There are lots of things that obviously, you know, you need to be making an adjustment for and so forth, right? Think of this, uh, you know, in that sort of way. You always, right, can find some good translation of what you have been doing in class in the traditional classroom environment. Your job is do is to do this uh, translation from the brick and mortar kind of environment to online. And in this circumstance, you have good tools, mm -hmm. right? Probably five years ago, we might not have good tools for this and that purposes, but now we do, right? So uh, this is kind of a response to the question, right? What should teachers, you know, keep in mind? Well, first, know that this is, right, uh, you know, the place that you are going to is a continuation of what you've been doing, right? So that's kind of a one mental set, right, mindset that I often uh, encourage educators to have. But the opposing viewpoint is the one that's assumed in the kind of, um, uh, the question that you asked, right, which is represented in the recent survey by, I think this is One Schoolhouse, the organization called, nonprofit organization called One Schoolhouse. Uh, you know, they did this survey for uh, all right. public school teachers in the United States. So, I mean, not all, sorry, like uh, sampled, uh, you know, uh, public school teachers mm -hmm. and asked them about uh, online education and ed tech. This is prior to the COVID-19 situation, right? And what they found out was uh, almost more than half of uh, public school That's teachers are using yeah. Yeah. some online education and ed tech tools every day, right? which is really surprising to me, right? But then 90% of them, right? This is kind of uh, underscoring the kind of uh, viewpoint right. of your question. 90% of them, you know, feel that they don't know what they are doing, right? Because of the lack of training that they've had. So certainly, right, um, what teachers really need to have is the suitable training of the kind that they need. And one interesting situation uh, right now uh, in the COVID-19 uh, circumstances that there are lots of actually good training. There are unfortunately bad kind of training that's available, right? But those are, the trainings are now uh, provided for free. So I think that, uh, you know, it's a better situation now in mm -hmm. the sense that teachers can at least, you know, teachers do have now a selection of resources that they didn't have in the past to get trained. 
And now they need probably some advice on which are the good yeah, ones and yeah, which are the bad know, ones. Now you're saying that with more students and teachers as well being basically forced in a way, not really, but being more accustomed to this way of learning, online learning, how do you see this, if at all, affecting the methods of education in our future? So I think that actually in this virtual co- conference this morning, the conference name is um, ASU um, GSV, right. right? ASU, obviously, as you know, like Arizona State University and the GSV Global Silicon Valley uh, Venture Capital Company. They, this is a, you know, one very big uh, educational uh, and edtech conference that happens annually. Uh, this year, right, it happened uh, virtually. One of the sessions was certainly focusing on this, right? Like, what is the impact of this current situation on our future education? And everybody was saying, right, like this certainly mm-hmm. accelerated the, the kind of movement toward online education, right? As I was kind of illustrating already by this example from uh, public school teachers, right? 50, more than 50% of them using some online education tools every day, right? Uh, along with it, right, for instance, like, let's say, like one third of our undergraduate students in the U.S., are taking some online courses, which might not be very surprising, but you know, one sixth of right. undergraduate students in the U.S. are actually pursuing uh, diplomas exclusively online, right? Isn't it really surprising, right? One sixth, right? So uh, online education has been only coming to the kind of a central stage, so to speak, of education, but uh, the current situation certainly by pushing in quotes, right, as you say, lots of educators in the world into the online space certainly accelerated that sort of movement. But uh, I definitely kind of uh, agree with that sort of statement generally, but in a kind of an interesting twist, right? Because as it's kind of evident in this kind of way of thinking of the situation, right? Like people are being pushed, right? Uh, So some people, right, like, uh, you know, are experiencing bad, right, online education and teaching, and I mean, uh, in the frame of our current conversation, right, some people, you know, don't even have access right, to those things and maybe have some partial, you know, uh, access, but that's not going to give a full experience or a good experience at the end. Right. So I think that what's going to happen is people kind of write like, oh, yeah, the, the, this you know, online education movement is getting accelerated in the sense of having more of online education in the future. But I think that I probably disagree with that, right? Because people now get exposed to more mm-hmm. of online education. So I think this, you know, so to speak, selection process, right? Uh, evolutionary theory, right? So the selection process in terms of good online educational platforms or systems, right? Yeah. All bar, right? Bad mm-hmm. online educational you know, choices, right? It's going to be, that's the one that's accelerated, which I think is a good news for educators and teachers, right? I'm curious if you think that this move towards like utilizing online platforms more would is like creating a more accessible future for education or if that's like a hurdle that we'll have to overcome to make sure that it's available to everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think my basic answer to that great question is that like we want to come back to the statement that I made right at the beginning of this conversation. Right. Which is right. right, Online education is just a tool and it alone wouldn't provide us a solution to uh, challenging problems, right? 
I have been seeing, right? Uh, not just me, like a lot of people have been seeing more examples of researches that have shown, right? Oh, online education isn't really good for everyone.、Uh, because we live in a society that inherently、oh, limits、yeah. people's access to her, their education, especially during this dire time. And isn't it a human right? You know, access to education, we have a right to that. But as a society, we're failing to uphold that right now. It's quite saddening that, like, COVID 19 and the effects of it has basically crawled its way into the gaping divides that are apparent in our world. And it's, like you said, slowly pushing them even further apart, making them wider. It definitely has highlighted a lot of shortcomings in at least the public education, I think, for sure. Yeah, with the given crisis right now, and as mentioned, a lot of students are having the issues accessing the whole virtual learning process. And the effort of installing the software and getting the broadband network is just too much for them. The effort might just not be worth it to them. What would you have to say to that? Yeah, no, I, I think that's really unfortunate. And then, as you, you, you guys have been kind of discussing, the issue has been there, right? And online education, yeah, I remember, like, I was trying to make this point, right? Even prior to the current COVID 19 situation,、uh, there have been researches that showed, right, the, you know, online education, despite the original promise, right,、uh, was simply, you know, widening the gap, right? So, actually, relying on that tool, which was functioning that way, right, prior to the COVID 19 situation, right?、Mm-hmm. But I think we don't have to be that pessimistic, right? Because certainly online high school, right, at Stanford, our school is modeled. Our model might not、uh, right. solve the, all kinds of issues surrounding this、uh, you know, accessibility、uh, issues. However, at least、mm-hmm. kind of providing this good example、uh, in the field can kind of at least right,、uh, relieve the pessimism about online education in that sort of angle. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely、um, one of the main concerns, I think, as well, that you've put it very well. The world is kind of, you know, going into this black spiral of disparity, right? The, the hope is being lost by a lot of people, by this, this hard effort to even gain education, to go outside their homes. A lot of it is quite detrimental to people's mentality, I believe. And that's where a lot of depression is coming in. And I think that being Stanford OHS students, we're given a lot of support in that aspect because our teachers and our whole faculty is quite accommodating to the fact that a lot of stress、uh, people are going under right now is quite impactful to how they go about life. So, could you give us a bit of a rundown or an insight as to how OHS might be handling this in comparison to other schools and what other schools might be able to learn? Or take away in terms of dealing with this particular issue from our school's example?、Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly,、uh, in terms of what、uh, goes on in the school for students, parents, and teachers, right?、Uh, while we uh, try to uh, keep things as we right. can, right?、Uh, as、uh, we have been doing things, right? Uh, we provide flexibility, right. right? Because again, this current situation is hitting different people differently. So we definitely need to be accommodating and、uh, being flexible. While again, right, as we are uniquely situated to be able to provide this greater alter-、uh, educational、um, 
set up for the situation uh, uh, for the students during the current situation. Uh, so that's the kind of approach we've been taking. So keep things as has been with you know uh, enhanced uh, level of flexibility for uh, different students with different circumstances. Um, but uh, for you know people outside the school, uh, as I think you guys know, uh, you know the kind of uh, approach and kind of support we've been providing uh, is to help educators. So this comes back to some of your questions earlier in this conversation. But um, uh, our approach to work with educators outside the school has been. Uh, pretty unique, I would say, like uh, looking at the mm -hmm. other uh, kinds of uh, resources that other companies and schools might have tried to produce. Uh, because we, instead of right, uh, providing some scalable solutions, right, some, you know, big webinars for educators uh, to yeah. learn about what it is to do online right, education yeah. might have had, right, thousands of people, right, uh, from 100 countries and so forth. Uh, but in our case, we had a big webinar at the beginning, but very quickly mm -hmm. we uh, took an approach of yeah. having smaller group conversations as we yeah. do, right, in our uh, online school uh, classrooms, because that's really heart of the core of what we do. And really wanted to, like, we really wanted to demonstrate, right, that this kind of close communication uh, in this online environment between students and teachers is possible right. and so forth, right? Really kind of letting them experience this sort of space. Other schools yeah, yeah. being able to do the same thing that you've mentioned with the small class group size. Another good thing about it is that there's a sense of security to it, I think, that you might agree as well. Our school has a particular platform that we use, as you know, called Adobe Connect. And this is quite different from a lot of the software that everyone else uses, which particularly tends to lean more towards Zoom, right? I know there have been issues with Zoom classrooms recently, specifically with people hacking into them and disrupting class discussions, also known as Zoom bombing, which raises questions about student and teacher privacy and safety. As an educator yourself, what do you feel would be the most effective way for students to handle the transition to an online platform, especially considering that most of these students aren't accustomed to this different style of teaching and that these schools were not prepared for this sudden change in the first place right yeah exactly no this is a wonderful question and this is uh, I, I think really related also to yeah. right what is this like current situation right uh leading to right in terms of the future yeah. education i think one impact is going to be that and this is more of a good kind of impact i think right I think uh, you know many schools would realize some additional needs that they might have been actually aware of, but they weren't really proactively addressing those needs, right? This like information privacy and such. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I think they will anyway, right? After this, right, have more resources allocated, hopefully, right, by the board of the independent schools or right by the districts and such. And indeed, right, like going back to the survey I already mentioned earlier in this conversation, right, one school house survey, uh, one of the uh, priority programs that educators were seeing, right, in this uh, current uh, circumstance of, you know, right. edtech rising and online education, right, rising is really in these information privacy. But, right, the issue is mm -hmm. that people are aware of those, but schools haven't been, right, in general, like, proactively addressing those things. So, right, so it's kind of uh, interesting or even, like, 
understandable results of right, uh, you know, previous situation, right? Schools not having enough resources to address those issues that they might have been aware of, right? You know, we are seeing these news, right? Like as you mentioned, like uh, yeah, some Zoom meetings have been hacked and all that, and in New York, right? Uh, Department of Education already banned Zoom and so forth, right? For their online uh, alternatives. So uh, certainly, yeah, we have made right in our school with the uh, huge support from Stanford Online. By the way, Zoom we we use within uh, Stanford um, right. um, framework. That's also HIPAA compliant. So you know, it's kind of a different Zoom environment mm-hmm. <laughs> from the ones that uh, you know people outside of our school might be using in some circumstances but yeah so I think definitely uh schools now got a completely like strong wake up wake up calls on this issue that they have been aware of and they will have more resources so you do hail from Japan and I'm curious as to how education there differs compared to the U.S. and especially now with the crisis how do you see it differing even more so now, including Japan and the rest of the world, going into the virtual classroom environment? Right, right, right. Yeah. So, yes, that's a huge question for me, uh, you know, and then if you can invite <laughs> me, invite me into like maybe three other podcasts like this, uh, I can kind of cover it more fully, but just to kind of pick up on some highlights, right. first, right, right, like, um, the system that's supporting mm-hmm. education is extremely different. So in the case of Japan, it's more centralized, yeah. right? Like perhaps uh, the cases in Asia, right? In other countries in Asia, right? Um, so, uh, you know, in the U.S., it's certainly still centralized to some extent, but to much lesser degree. And uh, so in, in Japan, right, like the flexibilities that, uh, even private schools have in terms of curriculum or, you know, choice of textbook even, right? That's centralized, right? Even college professors in uh, private uh, universities have to submit the, yeah. their syllabi to the Department of Education and, and so forth, right? That's still the case in Japan, right? So teachers actually don't have too much flexibility or as much flexibility as uh, many or some, at least, teachers might enjoy in this country. And uh, certainly, right, uh, that's impacting the current situation because, right, lots of schools might have wanted to do some unique and uh, uh, reasonable online, um, you know, uh, alternatives, but they couldn't really, right, because they weren't allowed to and so forth. One World Box segment that we do have, come up with words that you would use to associate with negative outcomes of this current epidemic for education? Right, so inside is negative and the outside is positive, right? Is that the, <laughs> oh yeah, got it, got it, got it, yeah. So, so I wanna say, like in the theme of what we've been discussing, certainly I think, I wanna say something like, you know, widening the gap or maybe exacerbating exacerbation, right? Is that English, right? (laughs) Exacerbating the existing issue. I think it like, you know, with the finding the negative outcomes, actually, it's a bit harder to think of put more emphasis on like the positive outcomes of this educational crisis with the COVID-19. Are there particular words or phrases that you might associate with that particular topic? One theme that came out in our conversation was, um, I think that more, yeah, 
<laughs> so I think more, more <laughs> wide, like online education, you know, more widely consumed, right, at least. Mm-hmm. And that's right. a, yeah. allowed because, right, that can lead to different kinds of outcomes that we've been discussing, like, right, like people are now like aware of these options and, uh, you know, that might accelerate this, you know, selection process, so to speak, right, in the sense right. that I was describing. Right. Uh, and also, right, some folks would have more opportunities to be able to address the existing, the issues that they were aware of, right? We touched on that in the yeah. uh, information policy kind of situation. So certainly, like, right, right, online education used by many more people, I think that's a really great, con- uh, you know, consequence of the current situation that gives actually hopes for our future education. I think you're right about that in that online schooling sometimes can have a negative impression among other people. But I think now with the current situation, the idea of being able to have access to education and learning platforms, no matter where you are, has become increasingly important, especially because of COVID and how it's forced all schools around the world to switch to online education and online learning platforms. Yeah, I would agree with that. And to add on to that, the whole world has now been experiencing and given a taste of what our online education is and something that you're an expert in, right, being the head of our school. Um, Would you say that this, like, perhaps the words transitional and evolutional come to mind for me? Because now that everyone has been given this taste of online education, that even those of all social classes, like we've been talking about, this whole gap between the lower class and higher class Do you think that this particular crisis might push the government or maybe the the Bureau of Education to do something and help the underprivileged students who can't access the Internet or everything we've discussed so far and resources that they might need to transition into a new era of education? Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a really positive prospect of, uh, right, like after the current situation, Mm-hmm. Which we can make, and you know, hopefully can make happen, right? Mm-hmm. The reason that I frame it, and this has been another theme, right, throughout our conversation today, right? So online education, again, like itself doesn't provide an, a solution, right? This tool, you know, might have been, might have, like, you know, might be used as kind of a, a apparent solution, right? Even when it's not actually providing a substantial solution, if I'm making any right. sense there, right? So, oh yeah, uh, we've solved this access issue because now, right, all yeah. students have online access, uh, you know, access. Uh, yeah. No, that's nothing that we have been trying to solve, right? Access yeah. of education. Right? So I think uh, we should really monitor, right, uh, what the government might be doing, right, uh, mm-hmm. in this front. Uh, what's really the essence of what's happened, right? Like, you know, providing more computers to more students alone wouldn't solve the issue. We would like to make sure right. that the quality of education is enhanced overall and uh, that's reaching more students, right? Is it right. really happening? Uh, after our, uh, you know, seeing, let's say, you know, more online education tools or, you know, internet, uh, you know, becoming, you know, uh, available to more students. Right. And I wanted to kind of add on, also to what you two are saying about how families right now are struggling for their kids to have access to internet connection, especially the people who are underprivileged. And so I've heard 
in France, according to Bloomberg News, that they're beginning to broadcast lessons that are related to what kids should be learning on certain TV stations. And that's also happening in some parts of the U.S., like more major cities such as Los Angeles, upstate New York, and Detroit. And they're trying to implement similar programs where students, if they have access to a TV, which even if they are underprivileged or don't have as much money, they might still have access to a TV where they can still learn things that would be important to their education and development, which I think is really neat about something that Chloe mentioned about being progressive and evolutionary and being able to give everybody some sort of access to learning, even if they don't have the same income or the same opportunity to do that as other people. Right. Yeah. I think Pooja makes a very good point with that. Um, before we wrap up this conversation, as we are reaching end of time, Dr. Hoshi, it was really nice having you. Is there any other last thoughts that you might have on this particular discussion? No, uh, thank you. I, uh, I really appreciated your great questions and prompts in the conversation. And uh, I certainly um, would like to, you know, if it's possible, have more opportunities to be discussing topics about education and other things. So thank you so much for yeah. having me today. It was a pleasure having you. Yes, yeah. thank you. We would love to have you for future episodes. But before we let you go, is there a particular message that you might want to send to educators out there who might be listening to our uh, to our podcast or students, for that matter, that you might give as advice as our head of school for OHS, the global leader for online education, and or as a personal opinion as yourself as a as an instructor in philosophy and mathematics. Yeah, so really the main message that I have in mind is that good online education is possible, right? Um, online, you know, doesn't imply that, right, in this context, right? Yeah. Online education can be really good. We gotta be really thoughtful, right, to think about it and then produce it, but I'm proud uh, of having been a part of such a great school, which demonstrated that. Right. And I did like to help students, educators, and parents understand that, uh, you know, for their uh, you know, future choices of educational pathway. Yeah, so, some positivity. Exactly. Thank you so much, Dr. Hoshi. It was really thank a pleasure you. speaking with you. And thank you guys for listening to Blurbox with Chloe, Haven, Pooja, and Sophie. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or please leave us a review on iTunes. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blurbox. We release episodes every Saturday. We would love to hear your feedback, suggestions, and questions, which you can email to blurredbox88 at gmail.com. And if you enjoy listening to our podcast, you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at blurredbox for the latest updates. Right. And we'll see you guys soon. Be sure to tune in next Saturday and we'll give you guys another really interesting discussion episode with another special guest. Stay tuned for that. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you.